It's exciting to think about joy. Have you, um, you know, coming into the Christmas season, so, you know, it's the time. If, if you're a young person, you're looking expectantly for the time when things start arriving under the tree, then not long before you get to open something, and so it's about getting. Older people who are trying to figure out what to give or going out shopping, it's a little different approach and they get to stand in long lines and spend all the money they have. And Wow, that was great. I have such joy. <laughs> Isn't this a great season? But we are, we are tremendously blessed with what God has, has arranged. And we celebrate at this time of the year uh, remembering Jesus, and so that takes us into this uh, another level of joy, not uh, not the traditions, but something beyond that, something that goes deep within us and changes uh, the way we think, the way we we see the world, the way we operate and and connect with other people, all of that and there 's something about the things of joy, so let 's talk about that the, the joy we get a little joy if you're saying, man, I, I would just, if I could just get the right, um, the right bicycle. So you're six years old and you're waiting, 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 and then somebody comes through and you get that bicycle. And if you're the girl with, gets the pink one with the white streamers coming out the handlebars and you have arrived. Back in the day, if you had the banana seat and a, you know, and you're, you're a boy and you get to have that, that bicycle and you can jump stuff and it's like way cool. There's joy. Then you're nine years old and you look at your cool little bicycle with the streamers that only have two or three left and the banana seat's cracked and you're going, eh, not so much joy. If some of those presents that are opened on Christmas Day, uh, you know, by New Year's, Eh, there's no joy. It, it was it was the moment, and for little kids, it's the box. So that's the greatest joy. So it, it, this thing comes and goes. When you get older, you go, man. If I just had, you're in high school, early early days after maybe, and you're going, if I just had, if I just had that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that would be it. That's what I need in my life. That's, and that would give me such joy. And for a little while, that works. And, and then with the repeat, you know, I get another girlfriend, I get another boyfriend, another girlfriend, another boyfriend. Why? No joy? Nope. Joy took a vacation. And all of a sudden, that it's just empty. Now you're just mad. People do that. There's just over and over with, I need the, this job. Over that job. I need this house over that house. I need this car over that car. I need these clothes over those clothes. I need, and that will give me joy. And if we do get it, there's a little, a momentary little shot. And we go, wow, I have arrived. I have joy. And then you sour on it. Why is that? Why, if it gives you joy, why would you sour on it? And how long does it take? And anything, whatever it is. Until you sour on it. You go, wow, that's, that's kind of a creepy emotion. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't really work. So we, so we try to fill it with more things. So we try to find more things that we can find great joy in. 
The momentary joys are fine. That's all, of, all part of it. I want to talk to you about the lasting one, the one that fills, and the one that makes a difference, not only now, but forever. So that one comes a little differently. And it's... Let me talk about the jewel of joy. Because this one in human life, in our physical life, on the earth, it comes at us in a different way than... Uh, some of the other kinds of joy. If we are in a desperate, desperate, dark, horrible place. I mean, not, you know, I've got 15 gifts. Again, you know, you're 12 years old. You've got 15 gifts somebody's given to you. Aunts and uncles have piled stuff on you. You've got every kind of toy thing that you were looking for. And you get two or three more, and you're just going, eh. I mean, you don't even say thing. You're not even grateful. It's just more. It's just stuff. And and some of it may be something you really like. So you go, yeah, that's cool. But if you are living in a place where you haven't eaten in three, four days or three, four weeks, if you've been deprived of the opportunity to fit into society. You don't have many friends, and maybe some of the ones you have betrayed you, and you pile that on, and you go, hmm, life is tough. And then somebody offers you a friendly hand, a meal, or a job that will sustain you, or a place to live. What's the difference in joy? It's exponential. Changes everything. We are so full of ourselves and so full of stuff that the real joy gets lost in the shuffle. And when we have to be rescued, when we are rescued from that kind of a situation, we find ourselves more open to the realities and the experience of a lasting joy. So we have been, as human beings, in a situation where we are caught in the darkness. We are under the pressure of a sinful world, broken, opposed to God, the Creator. We are situated in such a way that we miss out on the life-giving force that is available to God. So that's just humanity in general. We've been left to work our way through that. God has left his evidence all around us saying, I'm here, I'm here, I want you in my family. And people look at that and say, nope, no thanks. Well, that's not enough. Uh, no, I want to fill it with these other things. Don't, I want the little things. And they know by experience that they last three days, three months, three years, and they still do them repeatedly over and over. So do you. So do I. And you go, wow, that doesn't even work. We are so wise. And here's God saying, you know what? I'm going to send you help. I'm going to rescue you from the situation you are in and take you from the darkness. Because we, we crave things to be right. We crave things to be uh, peaceful, not chaotic. We pray for God to bring justice. We, we look for good things in the world and, and people and around us in our situation. And 
Sometimes it comes in some small way, but the big picture is God has to work this. This is bigger than us. He has to bring some solution to this. So we have to have someone who's going to come rescue, and God is providing a way to rescue out of the darkness. And then he restores. So to be restored is part of the joy. When we recognize the harshness, the hardness, the horrible situations we've been in, and then we give him thanks, and then we turn to him, and we, we come to him to find a new life, a new way of living, and that restoration changes all of it. There's joy. There's joy that lasts. There's joy that keeps us going. There's joy that is so foundational that everything else is built on it. That joy cannot be taken away. Now we can give it up. We can fill it with something else. That's us. But it's available for us all the time. It's a foundation that moves us in a positive way, energizes us to higher things, to good things, to, to delight in God, to delight in the things he's given, to appreciate the gifts. If we take another breath, if we take another step, if we eat another meal, we sleep another night. Joy. Grateful. Now when we're spoiled little brats, not so much. So if you've been a spoiled brat, this would be a great time to confess that, not out loud. We're going to look at a story. This is Rahab's story. Rahab is in Jericho. The Israelite people have come out of Egypt. They've wandered in the desert for 40 years. Moses has died. Joshua has taken charge. And God says, I want you to take these people and go into the promised land, go over that Jordan River, and start going into the other side. And they were to go in and deal with people who had, and these are groups and groups of people, who had over the years, continually, generation after generation, turned against God turned to other gods, worshipped these rebellious beings who had turned their backs on God, stabbed them in the back, tried to steal his people that he wants in his family. And God said, I've given you an opportunity after opportunity to change, and you haven't changed, so I'm sending in my people to deal with that. So that's part of what this is about. This, this uh, arrival into the promised land is also an invasion to get rid of the false gods, the false worshippers, all of it that's been stained by this uh, rebellion that happened, rebellions that have happened in, in the past. So Jericho is the first city, major city there in the, in the Jordan Valley. It's been there, long, lengthy history in that city. Big stone walls around it. And they are, and it's very lush and green, and it grows all kinds of things. And so it's it's a wealthy one. It's a crossroads, north, south, east, west. This this is a major location that they're going to enter into. It was a an area where the the worship of other gods included uh, sexuality. Now you're going to find this theme. I might as well throw it out here so you guys get it. Just might as well know this. So the whole sexual thing is sacred. That's God's design. Do you know what happened to it? Got twisted, got bent, got messed with. The evil one thought, you know, this would be a great way 
to tear humanity away from God and his gifts. Let's just do this. So we have rebellious heavenly beings, divine beings, who are part of God's entourage, supposed to be watching the earth and taking care of people, and they rebel, and they decide that it would be uh, to their advantage to take on human form and have sexual relations with the women, human women. So that's what's happened in Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4. So that rebellion, that act, that sexuality is what has unfolded. And so you wonder when you read through the various rules in Leviticus or Old Testament, you know, here's, here's this violation of a sexual thing. And, and even today, and people go, eh, it's just sex. Wow, really? So what do you know about it? Really, what do you know about it? Besides the movies and the pornography you've seen and your talk with your buddies in the locker room, what do you know about it? It's a sacred thing, gifted by God. It was violated by the, the small G gods who opposed God, went their own way, and they used sex as a tool to do that. So now they've created another race of being, half-breed um, monsters, they're called giants, and some and they're, they're giants in some uh, some of the lore, some of the biblical uh, phrasing, and they are the Nephilim. If you've heard that na- name before, uh, they are uh, God sends the flood to get rid of them, and to, and to deal with the humans who have bought into this whole this whole mess. So when you see the violation, there's bestiality. So what's that? That's crossing over. Huh, that's sexual crossing over. What's that remind us of? Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. How does that happen? What if, what if it's male and male, and female, female, crossing over? What if it's this group with that group? He said pure. What if he said uh, only in marriage, sacred, protected, honored, that's where it stays. That's where it stays. Anything outside of that begins to cross over. Do you see the problem? It's worshiping false gods. It's worshiping small g gods or ourselves, calling ourselves gods, and we make the rules. And he's saying, really? You're saying that's okay. It isn't okay. In Jericho, they're worshiping false gods, part of the r- r- religions, Canaanite religions, Egyptian, many of the other religions included a group of prostitutes who were there representing their God. So sexuality is part of it. In some of these cultures, uh, there was, uh, as soon as a, a young girl is old enough for sexual activity, they're brought to the temple, and now they're going to be temple prostitutes. And the men of that community or whoever worships in that temple can have sex with them until such time as they reach the certain age or the, some date, and then they're free to marry. See any problems with that? And God's saying, really, you, that's, that's your idea. And just spitting in God's face, who's saying, I've made something beautiful for you, and you're using every opportunity to tear it down. 
every opportunity to tear it down. So Rahab, back to Rahab. She's in Jericho, major city, crossroads. Think sailors coming to port. And you know the stories. So what are they looking for? Where is that red light district? Where? We've been on the boat way too long. So here are the caravans. North, south, east, west, Jericho. Huh. Starting to get it? Rahab's a prostitute in Jericho. So now she's been part of this worship plan, all of, all of the things that can come against a woman's dignity as she is living in this city and obligated to be part of the system. So here's Rahab's story. She's trapped in the sex trade. She is a person who has heard about what the Israelites have done and what their God has done. Those stories of the Red Sea opening, of the miracles that have happened, the defeats of the other nations, where the Israelite people have gone, miracles have come for 40 years, and she's heard about them. So when these Israel, they, a couple of spies from Israel show up in Jericho to check it out, and they talk to her, and she goes, yeah, I know about your God. I know he's the real God. I know this is the real deal, and this thing that we've got is an abomination. And I'm really, I'm really ready to risk my life to make sure you guys survive this, because the whole city finds out, I think there's some people from Israel here, we need to take them out. It's a time of celebration, and, and uh, the particular time of year, around Passover, and they celebrate the, the spring, and the king is is a kind of God, a repre- or represent God's representative on earth, and here's the spring, and things are budding, and life is going on, and fertility is everywhere, and you know, think of prostitutes and fertility, and we got, this thing is on. And at night, uh, in, in protection, and there's processions, there's all kinds of things that go on. In fact, there are processions that go around the city and around inside the city, representing the king, the god, all of that. And and they will march, led by the high priest, and there's all these things that go with that. Rahab has uh, hidden these spies. Of course, that would cost her her life if they found out. She gets them out of the city. She asks them to deliver her, save her, as a result of... Uh, she knows that they're going to come invade... And so she ties a scarlet ribbon in in her window so that it marks that she's there, sort of the color of blood, and blood saves, as we know. And uh, so she's trapped in the sex trade. She's delivered from the collapsed city. The people of Israel are told by God, it's Jesus incarnate, or not incarnate, but it, his uh, manifestation, uh, with Joshua in chapter 5 and 6 of Joshua, he tells them, when you go, march around the city one time for six days. Then on the seventh day, just keep going, blast those horns, scream, holler, yell. Y'all let loose, and the walls come down. 
And, you know, they're probably thinking, this is a little bit silly, but okay, that's, you know, we've seen some pretty cool stuff. God's done. So they do it. The walls come down. Rahab is saved. She is delivered from a collapsed city, from an invading army. God delivers her out of that system and away from that city who has, has turned their back on God. And she's it. That's always turns out to be a remnant, just a tiny number that really comes out of this. She is received by God and God's people. She's brought into the people of Israel. She is received. She's loved on. She's appreciated. She's married. Her life goes on, and she is worshiping now and representing the one true God, and she has quite the story to tell. And that's not the end of it. She is the great-grandmother of David and then Jesus. That one, that woman, who said no to the system, said no to the false gods, to no to the, to the ugliness of a horrible situation. But do you know what she experienced? She was rescued. There's joy. Not joy like, oh, I got what I wanted. I got a boyfriend. I got a girlfriend. She was rescued. Joy. And do you know what she found out? Her legacy would be when she met with the Lord in life after? Continuing joy. My great-grandson will be king? My great-great-great-grandson is the Messiah? And the joy just keeps going. Joy is something different. It's different than those momentary blips that we get. It's lasting. It goes deep. But somehow we have to wrap our heads around the fact that that we have been caught in a dark place. That our darkness is real. We have to own the fact that it's us. It's us. The whole temptation is to say it's the government, it's somebody else's government, it's the boss, it's my situation, it's a stupid family I live with, it's my lack of money or too much money, I don't know who's doing that one, but it's something out there, and that's the problem, not me. Just in the morning when you look in the mirror, just say, it's me. Just get over it. It's me. Why is it a struggle? Why is it I can't be patient and kind and loving and seek what is good and lasting? Why is it joy is so distant and I have to fill it with, try to fill this hole in my gut with everything else I can find? Why do I have to look for that? Why is it that God is not enough, that Jesus fails to be sufficient for all that I need in my life? Why is it I don't believe God and I have to find my own joy, create it my own way, because I am so clever and wonderful and beyond and above all others?
Rahab found out there's a greater God. There's greater truth. There's joy that's lasting. But we have to grasp it. We have to go, no, I'm caught in this stuff. And I need something else. And we found, you know, we're here because we're worshiping the Lord. We, we acknowledge that. But sometimes if that joy is missing, just take a trip back. Just relook at that. Now, the people in Israel, so we're, we're going to move down a few centuries, and we're going to look at some things that are happening eight centuries before Christ. And at this point, the people have come in. They believe God with Joshua. They, they lasted a little while. Then you get to the book of Judges, and you'll see that one go up and down and up and down, and they believe, they don't believe, they believe, they don't believe. Then we get into the time of the kings, and then the kings are mostly bad sometimes they believe it's just all over the place and Isaiah's writing in the northern ten tribes and he's a prophet and so he's telling them this little bit of info the light is coming this is from Isaiah chapter 9 the people who walk in darkness will see a great light for those who live in a land of deep darkness a light will shine Isaiah 9, verse 2. He's, a, he's referring to the area we'd call Galilee, northern part of Israel. And he is talking about what the darkness that is there, the, the worship of other gods, Baal, Moloch, all, all the a variety of gods is unfolding in that area. And this deep darkness is a darkness. Uh, Doom, gloom, everything horrid that you can think of, being in a pile of dead bodies. I mean, it's just just darkness. And they're following things that lead them deeper into the darkness. So that's why he's writing this. And he says, they're going to see a great light. Those people in that place are going to see a great light. Now, we've been talking about in this, in this series the unexpected Messiah. The people of Israel are looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a king. They're looking for somebody who's going to come in, a political figure so powerful that he will overthrow the government, Roman government at this time, that they were tired of. And eventually, all the governments of the world, and this would be the lead country with their king, their Messiah, sitting on the throne. So that's what they're looking for. That's the expectation. That's what they're, they think will give them great joy. And then God doesn't do it that way. That's the unexpected part. He doesn't do it that way, which is the same way he does it in our lives. If he just do this my way, I would be happy. And he's going, no, I want to give you joy. And if you do it this way, you'll have that. And you go, no, because it doesn't fit what's in my head. He goes, yeah, because I do things that are far above what you think and far beyond what you can imagine. You haven't been around long. Let me tell you, i got a better plan than you do. And again, because of our arrogance, we tell him no. And we do our thing. And he's going, nope. You live in a land of great darkness. I'm going to bring light. He did it to them. He did it in this place. So the historical reality is the great light came. 
It's amazing. It's in that place that Jesus, who's being raised in Nazareth, is called the Nazarene. It's in this place, in Galilee. Where does he do most of his ministry? Galilee. Where's the great light? Jesus comes to the people living in darkness. He's come to this place to bring light. Wow. Here's the light, Matthew 4, 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 4, 17. He's talking to, wouldn't you you think he's preaching to the choir? He's talking to the people of Israel. They go to synagogue. He grew up with them. The ones around the Sea of Galilee. He's moved over there by this point and lives in along the sea, and he's talking to people. These guys, I mean, they're all about this. They have tassels on their robes. They're, they're just all about this whole Jewish way of living. And he's going to repent. And you go, well, like what? Because we are the ultimate good people. Now, those Romans, those other people, those Greeks, now they got problems. Us. He's going, nah. Nope, you think you got it. You don't have it. You missed it. You're living in darkness. And I'm here to tell you, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is here. Who's the king of the kingdom? He's here. He's in their midst. Some of them got it. You read those stories in the Gospels. A lot of them didn't. You read those stories in the Gospels. Still going on. And he's still saying, repent, turn. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's the one bringing the light. He's the one who's saying, come with me and experience joy. Joy that will rattle you to your bones. Come with me. Come and find it. He's the light. The term used for deep darkness in Isaiah 9-2 is also used in Psalm 23, verse 4. You are not alone. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Something happened. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he said that, it was him. He's there. He brings the kingdom. His person, the presence of God is with them. That's the great light in the place of darkness. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and we think, well, that's just tough times. No, this is ultimate doom, ultimate gloom. It's the pressure. It's the depression. It's the death all around. That's what that word means. So it's not some light passing thing, not that you necessarily would think that. But this is, this is the valley of ultimate doom. Walking through that, the worst of the worst that you can imagine. And he says, you can get through that because I'm with you, because I'm with you. You can do it. It's about him. It's about being related to him, connecting with other gods, filling that empty spot inside us with our own stuff, coming up with our answers, coming up with how we think everything should go, is darkness. It leads into deeper darkness, 
deeper gloom. He says, when you let that go, you repent, and you turn from all of that to me. Wow, the light. And even though you go through those times, and I'm not going to keep you from them, the valleys exist, and we're all going to go through valleys. This is going to be there. Just saying, but I'll go with you. I will be with you. And even though you go through those, you're not alone. You will not be alone. There's joy that fulfills. John 15, 11. Jesus is talking to his friends on that same night. We just celebrated uh, the Lord's table. And this is that night uh, when he's talking to them. And it says, he says to them, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. He spoke those things so that their joy would just come alive. The experience of that foundational joy that makes a difference and it's fulfilling. It's so fulfilling, there's nothing else needed. Because Jesus is sufficient. And the skeptic may say, well, you know, it's not working for me. You know, I've read the Bible. I've gone to church. It's not working for me. How much darkness have we held on to? How much has the skeptic said, you know, I'll take this much Jesus, a little bit of truth, but if I have to let go of my aggravations and have to put up with people who just are, are reminders to me of how horrible my life are, is. And I, I'm wrestling with all of the... I, I just want to be in control. And I want everyone else to listen to me. And God in heaven is saying, who put you in, in charge? When, when, when did I turn the keys over to you? But you've probably never wrestled with those kind of feelings. But just all around us, families are fighting, feuding. Countries are fighting and feuding. And you know why? Because we don't have joy. If we had joy, his joy. Wow. The whole new way of life. A whole new way of responding to things. A whole new way of connecting emotionally with the world around us. God created emotions. Those aren't a negative thing. They're just supposed to be used properly. Are supposed to show up in ways that really grab us. And then it radiates from us. And then the people around us can be part of that. And if you get a whole bunch of people radiating, wow, what a gathering that is. Do you know there is no sun when we get to the new heaven, new earth? No sun, no heaven, I mean, in heaven. So, why? Because God and Jesus radiate light. Guess who else radiates light? His children. You just don't need another source. Want to radiate something different? Want to radiate something different in the darkness of this world? The darkness of your home? The darkness of your life? It's Jesus. His joy made full in us. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy 
may be made full. So embracing joy. Have you been under enormous pressure? It's sort of like walking through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. Have you been under enormous pressure? Jesus rescues. He's available to help. Have you been trapped by regret, repeated sin, revolving bad decisions? Jesus paid the price for you and will set you free. He paid that price. He has another plan. He wants you to experience something different, and he will set you free. Have you felt empty, distant, disconnected? Jesus restores. He rescues us out of those places, out of the darkness. And then he restores us into such life and light and establishes us in joy. It's, it's amazing what he does. Jesus restores have you pushed away joy? Have you just said, no, I don't want his version of that? Well, Jesus wants your joy to be made full. His way, of course. He wants your joy to be made full, and he will do it. But he will only do it his way. And anything else we come up with is no different than the people in Jericho going after their own gods, doing it their own way. And just deceiving ourselves. Rahab found joy. Because she left it. She repented. I think she was seeking the one true God. And found him. And he found her. And brought her into a new life. And then she becomes the great great grandmother. Of the Messiah. That's pretty awesome. He has plans for you too. Plans to give you joy. To fill you to give you direction, to give you meaning, to use whatever days you have on this planet for His glory, to accomplish things you can't imagine yet. He is ready to break loose. Come, repent. Leave the darkness, whatever it may be, whatever may be hanging over you. Come through the valley of the shadow of death. He's with you. And come enjoy the kingdom of heaven with the one who can provide it. And let him fill you with joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for a heads up in the, in the scriptures of who he is and what he was coming to do. Thank you for giving us uh, someone who really knows the ins and outs. Who can lead us through who wants to take us uh, on this journey of life that is so fulfilling that we can't even hope to understand how that will come about. And it will, it will surprise us. The joy, the deep joy, will be in ways uh, we, we can't grasp yet. But the closer we get to you, the more we see it, the more we experience it. Thanks for being with us and promising to be with us even though we go through the, sh the valley of the shadow of death. 
Thank you for this time and a time of remembrance, of thinking of you, of turning our hearts and minds your direction. And Lord, we uh, give you all the honor, the praise, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.